Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, everyone. Make your way back to your seats. I still recognize that, that face after you've dropped your little angels off with somebody, that sense of relief on the face that you have about an hour or so without them. As you get older, that same sense of relief is just when they come back, you know, at curfew time roughly. So it totally changes. Well, hey, it's been about six months since I've been up here. It's February 23rd, last time I got up to speak. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how long it's been. And, you know, at that time, I had spoken about taking a break from hectic life and, and adding a Sabbath to your week. Little did I know within three weeks how that message would go viral and global leaders across the world would start calling a giant timeout. Everybody go home. Spend time with your families. So you can imagine the reservation I had getting up here again today as to, you know, a little bit more caution about what I asked for. <laughs> yeah, about abundance, that's right. But, you know, it's, uh, so I'm wrapping up Those Were the Days, uh, three-part series. Uh, Phil did a great job kicking this off. In fact, we had a little bit of a flip-flop. I had an issue where I couldn't go a couple weeks ago, and Phil did a great job stepping up at the last minute and, and switching that out. Um, did an awesome job talking about some characters in the Bible and how they endured change and really didn't look back with negativity at, at kind of how it used to be and just want that, but they were able to move forward with change. Kip followed with an awesome message also about how then fear can enter in to your heart during that change and, and a great example about the mustard seed. So many times we think about it being little faith, but how he described it also as temporary or short faith and how obstacles can get in our way. And even though we think we're faithful in a direction, a small obstacle can change that. And that's the mustard seed uh, faith or less than that. So there's no doubt that, that COVID has entered in, you know, and has been this obstacle to many of our lives. But the question I'm here to pose to you guys today is, do you really want to go back to those days? I mean, if you think back, you know, six months, a year ago, you know, how was your life? Can you honestly say that your life was filled with peace and joy and, and you just absolutely loved the life that you had at that time? Or was it more filled, you know, with the rat race? It was always trying to keep up with things and you really didn't know where you were going. Yet, as COVID hit and everybody's told, go home, stay home, spend time with your families. You know, one of the biggest things we heard was, ah, I just want to get over with this thing, you know, get back to normal. But is that, you know, is that really what you want to do? You know, do you really want to, you know, what I kind of hear in that is, yeah, I just want to go back to that miserable life I had so I'll be happy again. <laughs> you know? So when this big global timeout was called, you know, it was hard to, you know, it was hard for everybody to adjust. And, but we have to recognize it as a time to make a change. And that's really the first point I want to make is use this big timeout to think about how you want to change the direction of your life. 
when a coach calls a timeout, you know, does the coach call everybody over? Let's say it's the, it's, you know, it's usually the losing coach calls a timeout. Does he call everybody over and say, guys, you know, you're playing really hard. Um, you know, I know we're losing, but just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it, I hope it'll work out. You know, good luck. Send them back out there. Not the coaches I had. The coaches I had, when he called a timeout, he called everybody over, and, and he was changing the direction of the team. Something needed to change. Even the winning side. You know, if the winning coach, you know, if the other guy calls a timeout, and the winning coach, so he go, hey, you know what? You guys are up a little bit. I don't really have any new ideas. So just keep doing what you're doing. No, he knows the other side is plotting a new direction as well. And the winning coach is going to want to change direction to stay winning. So I don't know who called this timeout, and we could have long debates about was this called by Evil or was this Scott. It doesn't matter. Our ultimate coach wants us to change direction. There have been some big timeouts in the past. I mean, a few, there's a, a few in history, other pandemics, but one of the biggest to date was when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Massive global timeout. Um, God wanted to change the direction of the world. But he didn't just send Jesus down. You know, it wasn't a 60-second time. I didn't send Jesus down. Jesus pops down, say, hey, uh, I'm Jesus. I'm the Christ. I was the guy people have been writing about. Hey, we're going to change the play. Uh, it's not going so well right now. You know, uh, Cephas, you're, you're hogging the ball. You're just making up plays for your own friends. It's clearly a complicated play. Cephas, you're going to sit the bench now, okay? Peter, Peter, come down here. Peter, I know you want to be fishing, but you're going to run offense. Okay, Peter, you're going to go run offense, and we're going to change the game a little bit. We're going to change it. Now, you've got to believe me. I'll forgive you for, for all the bad plays you made before. That's done and new. We're just going to talk about loving God and loving people going forward. Okay? Now, hey, guys, you don't even have to make a perfect shot anymore because I'm going to play the middle. All right? So you just, you just keep passing the ball around. That's love. Just pass it around. You launch up a shot. I'll take care of the rest. So Jesus, you know, he starts to make this point, um, but it took time. He didn't just come down for 60 seconds and then pop back up and, and do that. Maybe you can change five hearts, 11 hearts, whatever's on your team in the amount of time, but Jesus came to change a society direction, thousands, millions of hearts. So when he came down, he also knew hearts had to be ready for change, and that's really my second point here is Use this time out to change your direction, but you've got to ready your heart for that change. The ministry of Jesus took about three years, and that was just the beginning before he sent the helper and the Holy Spirit in the hearts of others who continued to drive that change uh, for several thousand years now. Why does it take so long? Because it takes a while to change our hearts. I mean, some of us maybe on occasion have these life-changing events where we shift on a single event, but most people have to change their hearts over time. One of the best analogies was when Jesus, in, in Luke 5, when he talked about the new wine skin and new wine. But the best way to understand this is to think about what, what is the old wine skin. Now, sometimes when I say wine skin, some of you may be thinking of this, right? This says wine skin. This is not what Jesus was talking about. This was invented about 15 years ago. So that's not the wine skin. So some of you are picturing a little bit older. So you say, oh, it must have been this. Well, no, actually, this is not the wineskin, too. This was the upgrade from what I'm going to show you here in a second, but this was not the wineskin Jesus was talking about either. 
Let's look at a picture at the wineskin Jesus was talking about. Here we go. I know what most of your reactions are is, why did they ever go away from that to the bottle? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, you carry around these clunky glass bottles. How cool would that be to show up at a friend's house with that strapped on your back? <laughs> but now that you can picture kind of what, what was in the context of, of this verse, the wineskin, when he talks about it, it being new, and we'll go to the verse here in a second, but the wineskin, the way they made wine back in the day was they, they'd crush up the grapes, they'd add the sugar, they'd add the yeast, they'd put it in this wineskin, and then they would sew it up. Within that, then, it would start to change. And part of that change would create pressure. And the wineskin had to be flexible enough to handle the pressure of the change going on inside of it. Yeah. Now let's look at what Jesus says in Luke. This is 5, 37, 38. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And I'll stop there because the old wineskins were brittle and they couldn't handle the pressure of the change that was going on inside of them. And he says, otherwise, a new wine will burst the skins, and that's why. The wine will run out and the wineskin will be ruined. No new wine must be poured in to new wineskins. And then there's a little bit of acknowledgement of the old wine. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is good enough, or the old is better. So go back to the other slide here a second. Let me talk to you about what is his real message here. So go to the one right after that. There you go. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. He's saying that the, the wineskin is people's hearts. Your heart has to be flexible enough and ready to handle the pressure of the change that's going on inside of it. That's what he means when, when you know, it's just a simple three, four sentences, but it's so incredibly powerful. And so that's why I say if we're going to make a change, we have to ready our hearts for that change. And then he goes on to say, you know, that, you know once you've had the um, old wine, some say the old is better. And what he's acknowledging there is, some, is change is hard. And in some cases back in that time, when the Jewish law had been built, you know, for thousands of years, that some people just simply weren't going to be ready to make that change. Their hearts were not going to be ready to make that change. And he acknowledges that and understands that. And that's why he was looking for people who could handle the pressure of the change that he was bringing as the new message. So the challenge to you is really how can God put new wine in our hearts if we just want to go back to the pre-COVID days? You know, if we're so set on those days, how can, put, how can Jesus put new wine in a new direction in our heart? Now, if you just think back, I mean, as I was thinking back to what were the old days like, constant pressure of achieving more but always falling short. Never satisfied, you know, you reach a goal but you, that, you, that you think is going to satisfy you, but it doesn't. Maybe looking backwards with regret. Trying to meet expectations. So I'll say again, you know, do you want to go back to those miserable days so you can be happy again? So don't let this time out go to waste. Ready your heart for change. I want to talk about a couple folks who 
who Jesus did change, who their hearts were ready for change. A couple of incredible folks, Paul, I think a lot of folks know Paul, but for those who don't, I'm going to give a little background on him, and then, then I'll weave Ananias into this story. So Paul, he was, you know, an incredible character in the Bible, but he, he uh, started out, really, he was a Pharisee. So these were the guys who knew the law. They were, they were advocates of the law, studiers of the law. Um, Paul specifically was a Pharisee. They, they originally was called Saul of Tarsus, and then Jesus renamed him Paul later. But Saul of Tarsus was a notorious Pharisee who continually sought out Christians. At the time, they weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the new way. He sought them out to arrest them and typically then have them murdered in some way. So he was well-known character in that time. So on one day, Paul's walking with his buddies. He had done this in Jerusalem. He'd asked for permission from Cephas, the high priest, to go to Damascus. He got permission to go to Damascus, arrest all the followers of the new way, haul them back uh, to be murdered. So Paul's on his way, on his road to Damascus, and a massive light comes down, and then a voice talks with Paul, and it's Jesus. And it tells him, hey, why, why are you persecuting me? Now, the interesting thing is Paul was persecuting followers of the way. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. So that's a, that's a great connection, isn't it, that, that if you are part of the church, you are part of Jesus. But he tells him, go to Judas' house on Straight Street in Damascus. There's a guy, Ananias. He's going to come and see you. And that's where I'll start to weave Ananias in. So Paul is... is is, you know, flabbergasted. He's stunned. His, the folks he's with saw the light. They heard something. They couldn't make it out, but they clearly knew something was going on. So they went ahead and assisted him to Straight Street, to Judas' house. Now, here's the great part. Here's the little miracle that I, I want to talk about with Ananias, because th- this, is, this is amazing. He had already told Paul that Ananias is coming to see him. Jesus had not yet told Ananias that he was going to go see Paul. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal? He's just got to saddle up his little donkey and ride across Damascus and, and go, you know, touch Paul. But remember who Paul is at this point. And, and there's no great modern-day context, but if you think of folks, you know, individual characters who are known for either uh, persecuting or slaughtering Christians, maybe you've got to go back a few years, a lot of them are no longer around, but you think of uh, al-Zarqawi and, and uh, Osama bin Laden, you know, folks like that. So what if... Jesus came, Mike, what if Jesus came to you one night and you had this vision that, hey, Mike, you know, I've got a mission for you. I need you to go see a guy. His name's Osama bin Laden. And, Mike, I want you to wear this T-shirt. It says Jesus loves you too on it. And I just want you to, to walk into his compound. Here's a little satellite photo with X marks the spot on it. And I want you to go into his compound. Just walk right by the folks downstairs, if they give you any, any flack, just point to the shirt. <laughs> Walk up the stairs. He's on the third floor. And I want you to go up to him, and I just want you to poke him in both eyes and tell him Jesus sent you to do that. <laughs> He's going to love you for it. Now, how many of you, how many of you that next morning are going to come downstairs? Hey, honey. You're never going to guess where I'm going today. I had a vision from God. Not many. Most of us would likely come down and go, honey, what was in that hot sauce last night? Because I had this horrible nightmare. It just didn't. It's not working for me. How strong would that vision have to be 
for Ananias to do that incredibly strong. I mean, even if I was 99% sure that it was a clear vision from God, I'd probably stop by RC Outfitters on my way out of town, get a new pair of running shoes, just in case something went wrong in the eye-poking area. But what did Ananias say? Let's pull that up. Ananias recognized the situation. He says, uh, Lord, uh, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your, to, your, uh, to, your holy, go ahead, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest, who was Cephas, to arrest all who call on your name. So even Ananias is pushing back a little bit. So Ananias is worried about this. So I love Jesus' response here. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, saddle up your little donkey, get across town. No, he didn't say that, but he did say he was adamant, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. And he goes on to say, and their kings and, yeah, and their kings and their people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'll talk about that in a minute. So thankfully, Ananias did do that. He followed. You know, he went across town. I can assure you he was shaking on his donkey as he rode across town, going, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy, praying the whole way. But he went across. He went to the house of Judas on Straight Street. He went in. He touched Paul. He said, Paul, Jesus sent me. And that was absolute validation to Paul. I mean, can you imagine having a vision where the vision blinds you tells you a specific name is going to come and see you, and then that person heals you. Amazing validation. So Paul went on to become one of the most prominent Jesus followers and promoters of spreaders of the word in all of history. And so many of the letters that he wrote to the churches he started wound up being in the New Testament encompassed in the Bible, probably around half of the New Testament. Paul was flexible enough to handle the pressure of that change. He went on to conduct at least three, some historical stories say, four major missions. And these aren't like your one to two week long mission trips that, that your safety and comfort are of the utmost priority. You know, his mission trips were two to four years and he was regularly beaten, stoned, imprisoned, or shipwrecked multiple times. And when I say stoned, it's not the new kind that's legal in some states. This is, this is people throwing rocks at your head to kill you. So I was thinking, I thought, you know, just to help people understand this, I'm going to talk to the leadership afterwards. We'll have a little sign-up. We'll, we'll create a Paul-style mission trip for the church here next year. And the agenda will look something like on Monday, we'll start with a prayer walk, you know, followed by a beating. Yeah, that's right. And then on Tuesday, we'll kind of take a long barefoot, march somewhere, go work on a church, and then I'm going to hire some guys to throw rocks at you on the way back. And I'm going to hire guys who have good aims. You're going to wake up with a headache the next morning to the Haitian police, who will then arrest you, throw you in jail, and you're going to sing songs of praise while you're in jail. Now, somebody's got to bail you out, so I'm not going to be able to be in jail with you, but I'll, you can tell me about the experience afterwards. But I'm going to bail you out Saturday I'm going to load you in a little wooden rowboat. I'm going to slam it into a rock, push you out, and make you swim to shore, and that's your shipwreck. All right? And then when you get back on the plane, when you, when you finally land on TripAdvisor, you need to give that a five-star rating. And every excursion needs to be a five-star rating, and you need to talk about how blessed you were because that's what Paul did. 
If you read his, his, um, his letters, you talk about, I mean, he talks about how blessed he was to have gone through that. A lot of people say, well, why, why, would, why would it be so hard for Paul? Why did people, or why did God make it so hard for Paul to go through all that? 25 years he, his, his um, missions went. It's because it made his faith that much more believable, that much stronger. I mean, if people look at that, that he's going through that, and then they go, well, there must be something to it. If he's willing to endure all of that and stay faithful, there must be something to it. I mean, if he showed up on a Disney cruise ship to each town, you know, came off with an entourage, and they're stumbling from the party the night before, I mean, would he get followers? No, he wouldn't get Christian followers. He wouldn't get followers that, that were that were the right kind of followers, he'd probably pack the ship. But it wouldn't be for the right reason. It wouldn't be because of the love of God. It would be the love of whatever, whatever that was. So Paul's direction was not easy. Ananias's direction, that took a lot of courage as well. So neither will yours. So think about that as you pray for new direction. Most direction changes are difficult and are, are very challenging. You know, Paul's was obviously, even Ananias' took a lot of courage. But are you ready for that new one in your heart? Are you ready to handle the pressure of that change that needs to occur inside of you? You know, maybe it's, um, you know, most people's change is somewhere in between Ananias and Paul. You know, Ananias was a relatively small step that took courage. Paul's was obviously 180. You know, maybe yours is dropping a burden of blame you've been carrying, forgiving somebody who has wronged you. Accept the forgiveness of someone else you've wronged. Or just renewing your focus on life. You know, if you're caught up in the rat race, just renewing your focus on life and starting to peel away layers of your life. And and if it's around loving people and loving God, then maybe that's what you need to start to change the direction on. Whatever it is, you need to commit in your heart to seeing it through. And when the burden becomes too heavy, that's when you turn to prayer. Um, Steph and I started a change. It's, it's, you know, we started a change about two years ago now. It was about October, actually, remember, when a, a friend passed away. Um, you know, we, we kind of looked at our life. You know, it was kind of what I described before, kind of a, a chaotic lifestyle. So we started to change our life. We just started to, to said, you know, we started praying together, praying for a new direction together. We started talking about the future together. Um, we, you know, at that point, we, we actually had a lot of challenges just with um, just the lifestyle, you know, and, and we wound up praying and saying, hey, you know what, we're, we're a member of the country club. And how does that fit into uh, maybe a new path of loving people and loving God? And there was nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it just took time and resources away from what we thought we could be spending, you know, better time and better resources loving God and loving people. So we, we peel away from that. And then, then the pressure came. We started getting all kinds of rumors. Oh, they must, they're leaving the country clubs. They're clearly getting a divorce. So all of a sudden that became some of the rumors. And then, then of course, we, we piled onto that. About eight months later, we sold our, our larger house, probably had too much space, and downsized into another house. So again, just thinking about time and resources we put into that versus 
what we have in the other one. And, and then people are like, well, yeah, clearly they're getting a divorce, and one must have a gambling problem because they've got a, you know, a debt issue, too. So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. If, you know, when you, when you shift away from what the typical society expects you to do, how the criticism and the, and the pressure starts to come on. So, you know, well, the irony was as COVID hit, you know, we're, we're looking around our little house, and, and we kind of moved into this house thinking about three of us would be there at any given time, maybe on occasion. <laughs> so all of a sudden, we had five people there all the time, working at home and everything. And it became, it, we, we became very close, let me put it that way. We became very close, but we figured it out. And we actually spent a lot of time together as a family. There was, there was frankly, there was just nowhere to go to get away. So that's kind of what a change in direction looked like for us. We continue to use this, this time out to think about how does that direction continue? And what do we need to do, you know, continue on that path of spending more time loving God and loving people? So Ananias, you know, he took a relatively small step in faith, but don't underestimate the power of a small step and the courage it may take to take that first small step. Paul obviously did a 180. So what does your change look like? You know, I, I don't want you to let this time out go to waste. I want you to spend some time reflecting on what it used to be like and, and what maybe you did not like about that was not, was not the direction that God wanted you to go and use this opportunity to look forward. Ready your heart. And then the next point I have is prayerfully consider the change in your direction. You know, and maybe it's something the Holy Spirit's already put on your heart. Maybe it's something that's already, you know, that it's already been there, and this is the catalyst to kind of help get you over that edge. Maybe it's something you need to be praying about on what that change of direction is. Maybe it's something you need to pray with your spouse about. I know that makes some uncomfortable. I probably won't get the five stars on Instagram now, but... <laughs> But, but consider doing that. I mean, that was a big change for us because we could, when we both agreed on the same direction through, through prayer together, we knew it was right because it was essentially validated. This pandemic's not going away tomorrow. I mean, we've been at it in almost six months now. Um, maybe it'll change November 3rd, I don't know. But I think it's going to go on a little while, so you still have time to prayerfully consider what that new direction is. Now, let me cover one last topic here, and that's that God is not the only one who has interest in helping with your new direction. The devil also may want to influence the new direction that you want to go. So that's why I say you need to prayerfully consider what that new direction is. So if if you're prayerfully considering that new direction and you come to me and say, Tim, you know what, you know what, I've got... I want to do a 180, and I've just got issues at home, and I'm going to do a 180. I'm just going to get a new spouse. No, that's, that's not the right voice that you're listening to. That's probably the voice of evil saying, go a different direction. That's the wrong influence. If it's something that's a little bit hard, like praying with your spouse or something like that, you know, maybe, maybe that's a little bit more like what God wants you to do. Now, if you come to me and say, hey, I'm going to make a small direction, but I want to go fast, and I just feel like God's putting it on my heart that I'm going to get that new sports car I can't afford, 
but, but I know it's from God, so I believe he's going to send me that check every month. No, you're probably just setting yourself up to be disappointed in God. Don't do that as well. When Ananias went back after seeing Paul, he didn't stop by the donkey dealership and pick up a new racing donkey. You know, God didn't say, hey, Ananias, you did such a good job, buddy. Why don't you pick up that new racing donkey with the white stripe, the racing hooves, the slick back ears? It's all yours, Ananias. There was no glorification. You know, he didn't help Ananias win the Damascus 500 with his new racing donkey. Ananias went back to a faithful servant of God. So it will take some courage, and that, that'll hit the last point here, is once, once you take the time out, you know, don't waste it. Ready your heart for change. Prayerfully consider your change in direction. The last one is courageously commit to endure the pressure of change through prayer. If you don't do it through prayer, you likely won't sustain it because that's where, where the other voices in your head will start to come in and say, it's too hard, you can't do it, it's not worth it. So that's why I continue to push. You've got to do it through prayer. So with that, let me close in prayer. Lord, we open up our hearts to you today so that you can help us see the change in direction that you want us to take. Something that will help fulfill your mission. We recognize change is not easy. And we pray for your support as we change our direction, take a step closer to you, we ask that you fight the battles against evil for us. The voices that tell us to give up, the change is too hard, that it's not the right time, tomorrow's better. We pray that you help us fight those battles and give us the strength to stay with the new direction that you have called us for and the flexibility to handle the pressure so that you may fulfill your ultimate will. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have this very strong feeling that Tim's message was confirmation for someone here today, maybe multiple of us here today. And so this isn't on the agenda, but I really feel like the Lord wants us to respond to that call, to that shift. So if you're standing here and you're feeling like Tim's message that God gave him is trying to prick your heart into what the Lord's been leading you into, I just want you to slip your hand up just to show, like, hey, God, if you're trying to shift my direction, like, I'm here for it. And I want the people around me to know that I'm here for whatever God is putting in front of me. And I just want, if someone's got their hand raised around you, I want you to just go lay your hand on their shoulder or on their back. And we're just going to believe in faith that the people with their hands raised are going to have the boldness to accept this change, to accept this shift. All right, so Jesus, we thank you so much that you are active in our midst, oh God. Jesus, I thank you that you can use an engineer from Caterpillar to shift his life to become a preacher of the gospel. God, I thank you that you can use the voice of someone unexpected in our life to speak your hope and your direction into us. So, Father, I thank you for every hand raised here today. God, whatever their hand signifies, this shift or this change. God, I pray a, a boldness and a faith over them in the name of Jesus. I pray that they would have wisdom. God, that they would have eyes to see, um, that they would know that when you've put that in front of them, that you will direct them. 
So, Father, I just thank you so much for the change that we're going to see come through these people. And, Lord, I pray a supernatural, abundant anointing upon them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. If you've got questions about anything Tim preached about, I want you to come see one of us. We've got a leadership team of 12 people, and we've got tons of other lay leaders in this church as well. So we don't want you to walk away feeling unsure or what your next step is. Come talk to us, okay? Hey, Tim, well done. That was awesome. So God's word is so awesome because it says, don't praise yourself, let another person praise you. And so I'm going to praise Tim and Steph right now. Um, And I want you all to know about the shift that God's done in their life. So two years ago, when God began to shift some things around in their life, um, I believe it was to help set us up for the shift that's happening here at Church 214. Um, And I'm just going to tell you that Tim and Steph have been very generous givers over the last two years of getting us in to Oak Street Building. And so, guys, I just want to tell you publicly that I believe that your shift from your large home and from some exterior things that on the outskirts seemed like you had it all together and that you would achieve success, like God was rewriting your story so that he could build his church through you. So well done. I'm super proud of you. And then on that note, I want to update you about Oak Street. So if you missed the last two weeks or if you jumped offline... We've been giving you updates. So if you need to hear the updates, jump back onto Facebook and watch the last few uh, minutes of each week so that you're up to date. But recently, um, the appraisal for Oak Street came in very undervalued. So we shared two weeks ago that we needed to, as a church, raise $85,000 in like a week. No big deal, right? Very big deal, okay? So by some incredible miracle from God, he moved on all of our hearts And within just about eight days, we had received over $87,000 in giving and pledges. Since then, since then, we have received in pledges and giving over $100,000. So how many know that God is not messing around with Oak Street? Amen? Okay. I love it. Dave Little says that if God wills it, it's God's bill or something like God's will, God's bill. Yeah, God's will, God's bill. So here comes Oak Street. But I want to tell you this, just like when you buy a house, you've got your down payment for your house or when you're building a house, the construction fees give you the house, right? It doesn't give you the couch and the refrigerator and the furniture to put in the house, right? So as you continue to be faithful to give, it's going to allow us to do things like equip the kids' wing the way we have envisioned being able to equip it. So continue with your faithful giving because it's not as if, like, the money's all there and it's just enough. Like, we want to continue to bless the Oak Street Project and see it come about in the fullness of what we believe it should be, both for you and for the people to come. Because I'm going to tell you, I want our kids' wing to be the coolest because I want them to love church, and I want them to love coming. And not that it's all about an environment, but how many know if kids want to be somewhere, their ears are going to be open to hear the truth in a better way, right? Okay. All right. So thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. You guys, we know, we've said this from the beginning, that the, the story of our church is that God did it. And I am so proud to just say, God did this. 
God did this through all of your faithfulness and through the generosity of your lives and your sacrifices. And I know that like every single one of you could get on stage and we could tell a story about how you gave and how you sacrificed. So thank you. It is going to be phenomenal. We are still pushing for a Christmas uh, move-in time frame for Oak Street. So keep praying for that. Pray that we don't hit any major hiccups with renovation and that God's favor would just continue to be on that building. All right? You guys get it? Got it. Good. Okay, don't forget, next Sunday is a Sela. Connect with somebody next weekend, and we'll see you back the following week. You guys have a great week.